cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. I'm Alan Watts, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 16th of September 2009. Newcomers, look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com, and you'll see all the other sites I have up there. I have uh, quite a few you should bookmark for future use, because once in a while the big servers go down, and that way you'll always have another site to download the latest talks from. And it's cuttingthrough.jankness.com. And it's cuttingthroughthematrix.net.us.ca, Alan Watt, cuttingthroughthematrix.ca, and Alan Watt, sentinel.eu. That last one has all the audios of the other ones, but it also has the addition of transcripts of some of the talks I've given, uh, which you can download for print-up in the various languages of Europe. And remember that uh, this is probably the only host out there that uh, doesn't get uh, sponsored. It might not make a career of it. There's no career in this kind of thing. I'm doing this because it has to be done. It has to be done now because we're going through the greatest changes, really, uh, in history for the last few hundred years. The biggest change ever. Everyone's lives from now on, uh, in fact, since 2001, uh, will never be the same again. Well, we're going to get into a regimented society from birth to grave, and uh, we'll simply obey our masters. That's really what the New World Order is all about. It entails depopulation, all the rest of it, down to a manageable level for them. But that's what it is. So this isn't a career. So it's up to you to keep me going by buying that, which I have for sale, at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And you can also donate as well and use PayPal button as well for not only donating, you can do for purchasing as well if you email me. And personal checks are good from Canada and the U.S., uh, see, there's PayPal. There's also Western Union MoneyGram outside the Americas, and uh, some people just send cash, and that keeps me ticking over. It's up to you to keep me do- going because, to say, I'm not out for a career, I'm not building an empire, and uh, I'm only doing it because, to be honest with you, it's a necessity. And when I started off, I wasn't even sure that people would be interested in what I had to say after all these years and years of study. Because it's, you get to a level where it's hard to talk to people who live in a different reality from you. They live in the television reality. They've been reared in it. They've got Hollywood histories. And really, they're in a, a la-la land. So I didn't know if people were even ready for what I had to say. It's in a mass audience. I'd taught small groups before. But anyway, that's how it is. We're going through the greatest changes, and to be honest with you, it's well underway, well underway. There's nothing being planned by the day because the plans for today were made years and years ago, and even the reactions to the plans. You can also write to me at Alan Watt, site 41, box 4, Estere, which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. The postal code is P as in Peter, the number 3, E as in Elizabeth, 4, N 
is a NORA number one, P3E4N1. And that will get to me too. Because we truly, truly are, and I'm not, the, I'm not saying this to be dramatic about it, I'm only using the words of the big boys themselves, like Brzezinski, who years ago said that we would be going through the greatest changes in history. And then remember when the computer era came out, it said that this was going to change everything, and so on and so on. At the time, people couldn't believe it. It seemed ridiculous to think it would change the way we all live. And of course, only people like Brzezinski told us the truth, that a form of communication would begin to give to everyone, which they love. It would be the greatest form of data collection that any government or world government had ever seen. Back with more after these messages. Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix. As I said, I wasn't even sure people initially were ready for what I had to say because it's had hard to talk to people who've been brought up in a TV mentality, and especially so when their parents were, had been brought up the same way prior to them, thinking that everything from that TV box is real, uh, where, where fiction is mixed up, with news, supposedly, supposed news, which is mainly directed propaganda. And they're given a completely different version of anything that's truly real in society and the world. And when you've been studying and studying the events of the changing of society, realizing for most of your life that nothing changed by chance, and it wasn't by some kind of waves that just came from the grassroots and changed everything, but rather that came from academia and guided academia with special people and big NGOs above them and think tanks and so on, always projecting the future or kind of future they'd want to bring in and making it happen. That's how it's been for an awful long time. So it's very hard to then go and communicate to someone who maybe reads the daily papers uh, or watches the television news. You're in two different wavelengths, and they'll find it impossible, impossible to believe what you have to say when you, you tell them year after year what's going to happen next. They'll always poo-poo it, and then it'll happen, and the oddest thing is they'll never say, yeah, you were right. They'll never say that. Uh, they'll just sort of knowingly know it. Knowingly know it when it's announced on television as though it had always been that way. And then you tell them the next thing that's going to happen and, and they'll poo-poo that. This goes on year after year with most folk. There's no point wasting your time with them because they are the dead. They're the naive dead. They're, they're perfectly brainwashed. And there is such a thing as perfect brainwashing. Plato talked about that in Plato's cave. This is called you brought up in a cave, etc., and that's all that you knew. But scientists talked about this too in the 1800s. If they could isolate a, a segment of society, just take the children, uh, isolate them from the rest of the world, they could make them believe anything at all. A completely different reality. Well, they've done the whole thing with the world, you see. Perfect scientific indoctrination, as Bertrand Russell called it himself. And he should know he, he had permission to, 
to try out experimental schools and do anything he wanted with the children, which he did. And I mean anything. And big players like him were all involved in it and the studies of it too. Eugenics is, is nothing new. Um, it's very, very old, in fact. Look at your ancient histories and how pharaohs often married a sister. After all, if you're very, very special, you want to make sure that your offspring are also very, very special. That's the whole basic idea of it. Some religions, too, are, are based on that intermarriage. All done through the ages. Royalties are, are all based on that, too. Eugenics, eugenics. And, of course, probably for thousands of years, they kept, uh, when they're passing their afternoons and drinking the vino or the beer, as they did in Egypt, they'd probably look over the peasantry working in the fields and, and, and discuss uh, these matters. Why are they peasants? Why are we different? And they always came to the same conclusions, that they somehow they inherited Intelligence, And again, Plato goes into that aspect of it in his book, The Republic. Not just, not just intelligence, but uh, certain abilities, which eventually were called noble abilities, you see. Noble abilities, something you're born with, that's higher than all the rest down below you. So eugenics has always been with us, and the eugenic societies, and people I mentioned, the Huxleys, for instance, Darwin himself uh, and all of the descendants of Darwin on many different family lineages uh, were intensely involved in eugenical research, especially with planned communities. In the 1800s, they had them in the United States, and they communicated from these, from these uh, um, societies with Darwin and the Huxleys and Thomas who was Darwin's best pal. And even H.G. Wells came, came over and visited some of these communities in the United States. In these communities, they literally had selective breeding, under the hidden and protected under uh, Christian sects. Like the Oneida project. H.G. Wells went there himself to see how it was working. And in the, in the Oneida project, there was a committee who told the people who they could breed with, the members who they could breed with. There was to be no um, uh, love involved at all. They were simply brought together for mating for children, and the rest of the time it was just to have intercourse. And they started intercourse off with children. This was all allowed and protected by New York State. And also Hayes, who became the president, he was a cousin of Noyes, who ran that experimental group. And see, all these big players went over there to see how it was going. Tensely interested in it. One of many experiments, many hidden experiments, going on in the 1800s, right up into the 1900s. And, of course, the whole idea of these elitists was to create a new society, uh, a much smaller society, because they knew the industrial era would not last forever. They would need all these people. And unemployed people might rebel and get rid of the, the elects. That's what Charles Galton Darwin wrote about, basically, in his book, the, the Next Million Years, meaning the next million years where the elite would rule. That's quite the boast. 
and he was a grandson of Charles Darwin. And he was a physicist who worked on the Manhattan Project with atom bomb. These guys love society. That's why they're always into massive weaponry projects and stuff like that, or into finding ways of reducing the population. All the big players that you, you see pretty well in the science fields have all been involved in this, this kind of thing. One big club at the top. And that's also why Julian Huxley said that he belonged to the scientific elite class. He went through the different classes himself, from the dominant minority to the, who would have special projects, but he was in the scientific group. It was held in high esteem because they would be given the, the rights to basically decide for society how it should go, how your health should go, and all the rest of it. After all, you see, if we're a herd and you're the farmer, you want to make sure your stock are healthy, at least as long as you're having them walk around alive. Too many of them, well, you just cull them off. With human beings, it's difficult to do because you can't just persuade them to go and commit suicide, so you have to do it by stealth methods, deception in other words, and bring the population down. Isn't it amazing that as healthcare supposedly and medicine have gone to the zenith over the years from the, the latter part of the 20th century and the 21st century, our health has just drastically declined, like they were plummeted. Do you think that's a coincidence? Do you think it's a coincidence that cancers have skyrocketed in the last 20 years and, and more so in the last 10? And right now there's an incredible crisis level. All age groups. Types of cancers were completely unknown before. And, then, and the surgeons themselves don't bother even classifying these new types that they're seeing. And yet there's no crisis mentioned about that. Why is there no crisis about that? When there's no crisis about it, it's because it's planned that way. They know at the top what they're doing. As I say, you're going to ask for volunteers for suicide, or do you simply start eliminating the herd? Meetings were held 30 and 40 years ago to do with how the world would be taken down in its population. World meetings decided that the, some third world countries would go down fast. That's why Africa has been targeted in such a way, and other countries too. But the Western societies, because they were better educated, Huxley went through this. He says uh, it would be harder to persuade them to, to go along with certain things. They may start figuring things out for themselves. So it would have to be done through stealth methods. Deception, just pure lying. What's the best way to do it than to offer you, you health care? Healthcare. Now, the first real reason for healthcare was obvious in Canada because the guy who brought it in, Thompson, was a member of the World Eugenics Society and the British Eugenics Society and the Canadian Eugenics Society. And he firmly believed, like, like uh, George Bernard Shaw, one of the co-founders of the Fabian Society, that they, the, the, him, his class, his uh, intellectual class, as he thought himself, as part of himself, he, that they would have the right to decide who should live and die. But as long as you're alive, he says, you will do what you're told and work. That's, that was their Fabian motto. You do what you're told and you'd work to serve the whole of society, serve the whole of society. 
if you're unfit and so on, then you shouldn't live at all. Does that sound familiar? Poor Adolf gets all the blame for this, you know. Adolf was just copying these guys. That's all. Putting into action more openly, more openly than these guys were, had planned. They, they planned to do it by stealth. Healthcare. And the priority of healthcare is actually population reduction. It's a political agenda. That's why you can't mix healthcare with politics. Anything to do with politics is a political agenda. Sterilizations, abortions, etc. That's okay for healthcare. You get in rights away, but something serious, wait till you're dead. Back with more after these messages. Admitting it, 
public opinion will be led to adopt without knowing it the proposals that we dare not present to them directly. So there's techniques of indoctrination. It's done by osmosis almost because people don't really consciously think through things that they hear coming from media or they read. As I say, this is from the sovereignindependent.org and it talks about this. It says, this is on page five of the September-October 2009 issue, undemocratically selected by the Economic Union Council, this is the president. He will hold the position of president for two and a half years, renewable once. And if it's important for the Americans, listen, because it's coming here too, you see, the same system. Therefore, he could be the president of the EU for up to five years. The selection process takes place behind closed doors and in secret, this is a fact, by the 27 members of the Economic Union Council. Some EU leaders, particularly Sarkozy and Gordon Brown, have strongly been pushing for Tony Blair as the first post-Lisbon EU president. And Tony's actually polishing himself for that too. He's made some comments on it. After having masterminded the Iraq war, resulting in the deaths of millions of innocent men, women and children, and stirring up a never-ending war on terror in the Middle East, this warmonger, Blair, is then presented to the world as the best possible choice to take the reins of the new EU superstate. Men and women of Ireland, this men... This man could be your next president. And it's true, when he, Tony Blair, I read the article on the air, when he was asked about the Iraq war and so on, he says, all oh, that hassle, he says, that, once he was out of office, all oh, that hassle, just a hassle to him. He was asked if he had any regrets on anything he'd, he'd done during his whole time, and he says, no, he said, I don't have any regrets. You know, I'm a leader. Leaders don't have regrets, he says, pretty well. And by anybody's standards, that's a good little psychopath there. EU Council, made up of the 27 leaders of all member states, is the EU Council which decides from behind the scenes in secret meetings who becomes president. Council members decide on their own what amendments may be made to the Lisbon Treaty, and they have the ultimate power to make those amendments as they wish without any referendum. The EU Council also chooses who will be president of the Commission, again without any referendum. The Council of Ministers made up of the national ministers, such as the ministers for agriculture, ministers for finance, etc. The Council of Ministers are the ones who vote on all the laws based on the proposals from the Commission. They also vote on certain laws based on qualified majority voting, which gives member states a voting weight based on population size under Lisbon. Our voting weight will be reduced from 2% to 0.8%, while Germany's will double to 17%. This will lead to a big increase in power to the bigger states. The Commission the commission currently has 27 commissioners, commissars, you see, one from each member state. This powerful unelected body, unelected body, remember? I'll say that again for the heart of thinking. This powerful unelected body is the only institution which can propose a new law. The unelected body are the only ones who can make laws. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
watch and we're cutting through the matrix reading from it's a new newspaper that's just come out and you can look it up sovereignindependent.org and it's the September October I think it's the first edition issue 2009 going on about the European Union and I was reading about the, the, uh, the commission the commissars it says the commission currently has 27 commissioners one from each member state so you're not a country at your state now, you see. This powerful unelected body, unelected body, is the only institution which can propose a new law. These laws originate from thousands of secret working groups within the commission with many conflicts of interest. Secret groups. See, this is the new system for the world. This is the prototype that everyone else is to copy. Currently, each national parliament selects a commissioner. However, if Lisbon Treaty is passed, the national parliaments may only suggest a commissioner which can be rejected. The number of commissioners will also be reduced less than the number of member states with appointments on a rotational basis. The European Parliament, see, that was a front show, the parliament itself. This is the only directly elected body in the EU and has the least power. Members of the European Parliament are only allowed to suggest amendments to laws and vote to block laws from the Council of Ministers. They cannot uh, propose any new laws and their amendments may be ignored. See, this is post-democracy. Post-democracy. Remember what they said at the Club of Rome, democracy got in the way. Margaret Thatcher said the same thing when she said she belonged to the parallel government, she called it. Same thing as Quigley talked about. The ones who all know each other, they've all served, as they call it, served, as they're well paid, of course, but they call it serving uh, the different countries and so on. And they all know each other, and when they retire from overt politics, they become technocrats, they, have, they wield the true power and get things really done because democracy was just uh, too many competing and conflicting parties to get their agenda through. Post-democratic. And this is the prototype for the Americas, by the way. And as I say, you even have people like uh, the French Prime Minister Valéry Giscard d'Estaing uh, saying, saying that it was all done by deception. Public opinion will be led to adapt, adopt without knowing it the proposals that we dare not present to them directly. Quite something, eh? We live in a, a war for and on the mind of every single person on the planet. We've gone through Bernays before and how he gave a whole cultural system to the US, for instance, for a period of time. And how he trained many, many others to take over from him. And he was, of course, a relative of Freud. And even one of these his relatives now, Freudian relatives, is now advising the European uh, parliaments and the British parliament. They never give up. Why, why, why do it? They're experts. Intergenerational experts in their own field. And Bernays liked the term propaganda, but uh, he was asked to, that the public were catching on to it. Propaganda got a bad name in World War II, so they, they changed it to public relations. Now, here's a public relations exercise right now. I'm going to read it to you by Reuters, the, 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 the uh, Rothschild-owned news company. And this is from uh, September the 16th. 
flu experts. Remember, we don't need names anymore, just experts. That's what Bertrand Russell said to the trainers. To, to, when as soon as experts is mentioned, we suddenly drop our mouths wide open and, and listen, you know. Flu experts gear up for pandemic of vaccine worry. So it's a propaganda war, you see. Uh, it says here, one million heart attacks. This is how they started off. One million heart attacks, 700,000 strokes, and 900,000 miscarriages. U.S. public health officials want Americans to know these will happen every single year with or without a swine flu vaccine campaign. So I'm sure you're all up there. You're saying, oh, thank goodness for that. Yeah. So when you hear, remember, that the strokes are just going through the roof, miscarriages too, and all that, and heart attacks, you'll think, well, that's normal, isn't it? Well, the experts said so. So simple, isn't it? Propaganda is just a simple thing, isn't it? Very, very simple. It says, yet this year they know a significant number will be blamed on the H1N1 vaccine, which will roll out within weeks, and they're struggling to be ready. Utter lies, because they had this planned years ago. They don't wait to the last minute. They've had this stuff planned years ago, including the, vac- the mandatory vaccinations. They expect an avalanche of so- so-called adverse events reports. I guess the word down is alleged which are reports of death, illness, or other health trauma that occur within two weeks after receiving treatment. It's a treatment now, you see. You know, it's not a forced, intrusive operation. It's a treatment you're getting. In this case, the swine flu vaccine. We're going to be overwhelmed with potential events, alleged events, you saw, said Mike Osterholm, a public health expert. Oh, oh, he's an expert at the University of Minnesota. Anything that happens to anybody in the period of 7 to 14 days after vaccination will be reported. And not just the U.S. officials, the World Health Organization is trying to reassure a global audience that vaccines are made by 25 different companies with various formulations, and they're all safe. If we have a safety signal in one country, it could stop vaccination efforts in others. In other words, they're not going to allow any adverse effects reporting to get out into the until it's all over and done with, because other folk who are later catching up with their vaccinations might forgo it altogether and say, well, we're not going to go through that too. So they won't report it. Whose top flu expert, Dr. Keiji Fukuda, told a meeting of infectious disease specialists organized by the U.S. Institute of Medicine this week. Flu experts themselves have little doubt that the vaccine being made against H1N1 is safe, has been made using precisely the same technology as the annual seasonal flu vaccine, which is given to hundreds of millions of people every year. And it's a lie, by the way, because they're actually using squalene in it this year in the U.S., even though it hasn't been passed for use in the U.S. by law. But again, what's that got to do with propaganda, eh? It says, memories still linger of the 1976 swine flu debacle. It's a debacle when folk dropped dead then, you know, when 43 million Americans were vaccinated against a virus that never spread and never existed. I added the last part. A newspaper filled with reports of a rare and crippling neurological disease called William Barr syndrome, which paralyzed lots and lots of people. So I guess nobody reported this time. It'll just be a coincidence that you came down with it at that particular time after getting the shot. So there's your, these are propaganda guys at work right there. And meanwhile, you've got the other side of it too. It's, uh, and this is from the, the Irish Times, September the 15th. Risk from the swine flu vaccine is greater than catching the virus. 
The risks associated with catching the current strain of H1N1 virus are less than those connected with being given a new vaccine, which has limited clinical trials, according to an international commentator on swine flu. I believe vaccination may be right in the future, particularly if the virus becomes more virulent, but at the moment the risks associated with vaccination outweigh the benefits, said Dr. Robert Birkirk, an environmental toxicologist who now works for the London-based Alliance for Natural Health. My concerns in particular are for pregnant women and babies under six months because we don't know what the vaccine will do to young babies and unborn fetuses, he said. Well, they'll go down in miscarriages, won't they? It happens all the time, apparently. Currently, most cases of H1N1 virus are mild. Outbreaks around the world appear to be identical, and the first wave of infection is declining in intensity, he added. Dr. Verkert was speaking on the topic of pandemics, fact and fiction, at the Root Health Show in Dublin at the weekend. Showing World Health Organization graphs about the rise and fall of H1N1 virus around the world, he told his audience that staying informed was the most important thing anyone could do regarding potentially risky infectious diseases. He suggested there may be a lot of under-reporting of, of the virus now in cases where the symptoms are relatively mild. He also questioned that the effectiveness of a vaccine based on the current strain of the H1N1 virus if a more virulent form of the virus develops. In other words, the one they're talking about coming, the killer one, hasn't occurred yet. It has to evolve with a little help, of course, uh, into a killer, which means that the present vaccine won't affect it. So I'll put these links up, to say, on my site at the end of the show. And, uh, you know, for years and years and years, I've talked about the spraying in the skies that I've watched myself. And uh, I don't need anyone to tell me it's been done. I see it being done. I see the effects of it on people, on myself, and even on the wildlife, too. So there's something that's really been going on, this massive, incredible spraying worldwide, by the way, and that's not reported by any mainstream. But there's a couple of, of uh, TV stations did do a couple of shows on them, and it's up on YouTube. I've talked about, about them before. But the rest of them totally ignore it. But they'll create a fiction or a fiction uh, into reality, which is the, the, this incredible flu that's supposedly sweeping across the planet. Reality creation and reality suppression. Again, it's very simple, isn't it? Remember a few months ago they talked about these noctilucent clouds. These sudden new clouds appeared in the sky that were glowing. It's been, it's been happening for years, actually. Here's NASA. And this is from, uh, this is from um, space.com. NASA rocket to create clouds on Tuesday, so the 14th of September, 2009. A rocket experiment set to launch Tuesday aims to create artificial clouds at the outermost layers of Earth's atmosphere. The project called the Charged Aerosol Release Experiment, CARE, oh isn't that nice, CARE, C-A-R-E, plans to trigger cloud formation around the rocket's exhaust particles. Well, they've been doing it with the jets for what, since 98. The clouds are intended to simulate naturally occurring phenomena called Nuctilescent clouds, or nuctilescent clouds, which are the highest clouds in the atmosphere. This is really essentially at the boundary of space, said Wayne Scales, 
a scientist at Virginia Tech, that sounds fishy to me, who will use computer models to study the physics of the artificial dust cloud as it's released. Nothing like this has been done before for a liar, and that's why everybody's really excited about it. The experiment is the first attempt to create, oh, here we go again on that lie, as you can smell it coming, artificial noctilucent clouds, oh, oh, oh. A previous spacecraft called Aeronomy of Ice in the Mesosphere, called AIM, A-I-M, so it's care and AIM, take care, care, AIM, and fire. I guess the third one would be fire, right? Launched in 2007 to observe the natural clouds from space. Care is slated to launch Tuesday between 7.30 and 7.57 p.m. EDT from NASA's Wallops Flight Facility in Virginia. It's going to wallop the sky. There you go. Night shining clouds. They, they don't do, they don't tamper with the atmosphere and weather control, even though the U.S. Air Force said shortly they'd, they can, they'd own, not just control, but own the weather. They already controlled it, now they're going to own it. And that was mainstream, of all places, mainstream media a few years ago. So, it's quite something, isn't this This reality we're living through, trying to find out reality from fiction and, and, and living in a world where most of the mainstream is fiction. It's never straight, that's for sure. There's always a slant, a spin, or it's completely bent and round going another way. Now, I said before, this new world order will have us all as slaves. You see, you've got to understand what the Soviet system was all about. And prior to the Soviet system, you know, every, every people on this planet have got videos out now on how hard done by they were by, uh, say, the British Empire, for instance, or the World Empire of, of the 1800s and so on. And I just watched one to do with, with how they took thousands and thousands of people from India as indentured servants, where you basically sign a contract for seven or ten years of your life, and you go to work on plantations in the Pacific and different places like that. And this all happened. So they, and it's true that Britain reinvented slavery. When it banned it, you see, it simply reinvented it by having you sign your name to something, a legal contract. They pretended to pay you, but then they deduct your, your cost of living from your paycheck. So you could never get brought back to your country again. That happened. But at the same time in Britain as that was happening, the vast majority of the British people were working 16 hours a day in factories for peanuts. And the death rate was phenomenal. Squalor and horror and poverty. See, everyone's been used. And then they came up with the Soviet system. Where a few elitists, you see, who understood the true doctrine of Marx. Only a few, the few at the top could fully understand the true doctrine, you see. Uh, would, would be in charge of all the goods and resources on behalf of all the peoples. And everything would have to come through them. So in other words, and as Orwell said, you know, when, when, when an elite group denies you materials of life, then you're under a totalitarian regime. Today has been done by, oh, ecology, environmentalism, save the planet. Man is the enemy, according to Club of Rome. They came up with the idea. They were given the task. <laughs> and they published it in their own book, The First Global Revolution, the founders of the Club of Rome, backed by the, the high hootspurs up yonder, you see. Big think tanks were all financed by the big foundations, the multinational, international bankers, and royalty, etc. And I said, you'll be all slaves, because they're using the same technique again under a different guise. <clears throat> it's from the Times, September the 14th, 2009. 
staff in carbon footprint trial. They did a trial on this, you see. We could face £100, £100 fine for high emissions. People who emit more than their fair share of carbon emissions are having their pay docked in a trial that could lead to rationing being reintroduced via the workplace after an absence of half a century. Britain's first employee carbon rationing scheme is about to be extended after the trial demonstrated the effectiveness of fining people for exceeding their personal emissions target. So you've got personal emissions target, see? Unlike the energy saving schemes adopted by thousands of companies, the rationing scheme monitors employees' personal emissions, including home energy bills, gasoline purchases, and holiday flights. Workers who take a long-haul flight are likely to be fined for exceeding their annual ration unless they take drastic action in other areas, such as switching off the central heating or cutting out almost all car journeys. Employees are required to submit quarterly reports detailing their consumption. They are also set a target which reduces, which reduces each year. So your target will get reduced each year for the amount of carbon that you can emit. How do you think? You actually read all this stuff all the time. Every country is signing on to carbon reduction, carbon reduction, and they want to reduce it by 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 percent. How do you think they're going to do it? And what's the real intention of it? It's to put you into abject slavery. That's what it's for. Because most of your paycheck, if you're working at all, is going to go back to them. Says they're also set a target which reduces each year for the amount of carbon they emit. Those who exceed the ration pay a fine for every kilogram they emit over the limit. The money is deducted from their pay and the level of the fine is printed on pay slips. Oh boy. If we don't just uh, put them all into the sea now, we're all done for. I'm back with more after this break. This is Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix, and boy, it's like cutting through you-know-what. And it's as thick of it as that, too. Uh, people who worked on building sites as laborers, construction workers, or worked in factories, they used to say, new day, new boss, same shit, you see? And that's how it is with presidents and prime ministers. Uh, and always could be something new, something new, but it's always the same thing, you see? And uh, Obama, of course, was already picked way in advance uh, by the authorized uh, pickers, and that's the Bilderbergers and the Council on Foreign Relations, like exactly what Carol quickly said. Every top person in, uh, at all parties uh, belongs to the Council on Foreign Relations. They're all picked in advance. But here they go. They, they give you a new guy of a different color and supposed to be all different. This is exactly the same thing. And this is from... Uh, it's Wired.com. Obama backs extending the Patriot Act spy provisions for spying on the public. September the 15th. And here's a picture of one of his magician's poses with his hand up there, you know. And it says here, The Obama administration has told Congress it supports renewing three provisions of the Patriot Act due to expire at year's end, measures making it easier for the government to spy within the United States. Making it easier? How easy could it get? In a letter to Senator Patrick Leahy, the Vermont Democrat and chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, the Justice Department said the administration might consider modifications to the act 
in order to protect civil liberties. Oh, it might. Might. I like the word might. The administration is willing to consider such ideas provided that they do not undermine the effectiveness of these important authorities. Ronald Weich, or it's Weich, Assistant Attorney General, wrote to Leahy, who is a PDF involved, you can download that, who is committed to expected to consider renewing the three expiring Patriot Act provisions next week. The government disclosed the letter Tuesday. As you could come as no surprise that President Barack Obama supports renewing the provisions which were part of the Patriot Act approved six weeks after the September 11, 2001 attacks, or pff, attacks, demolition jobs. As an Illinois senator in 2008, he voted to allow the warrantless monitoring of Americans' electronic communications if they're communicating overseas with somebody the government believes is linked to terrorism. That legislative package, which President George Bush signed, also immunized the nation's telecommunication companies from lawsuits charging them with being complicit with the Bush's administration's warrantless wiretapping program. That program was also adopted in the wake of September the 11th. And then they're going to put the, the new three provisions which are due to expire. And it's all listed here what he plans to renew. So it'll actually get worse because that's the agenda, isn't it? And then, of course, we'll find too uh, that, that Bacchus, I guess it's Bacchus, is it? Bacchus unveils $856 billion healthcare legislation. And this is from, uh, where's this from? The Wall Street Journal. Quite interesting. Senate Finance Committee Chairman Max Backus formally unveiled the 10-year $856 billion bill that would extend health insurance to tens of millions of Americans, but that found lukewarm support amongst other key senators, in indicating changes to the measure are in store. He says this is a good bill. It's a balanced bill. It can, it can pass the Senate, Mr. Backus said at an afternoon news conference at which he provided details on the plan. And I haven't got time yet to go into the other part, which is fines. Everybody who doesn't get this insurance is going to get fined, like, massively. Who's that going to be? Well, the poor, of course, isn't it? <laughs> welcome. Welcome to the new Soviet, the world Soviet. Isn't it going to be wonderful for every breath you take in the carbon that you exhale? You're going to pay and pay and pay. Boy, freedom's wonderful, isn't it? The new freedom. Well, that's it from... Hamish and myself from Ontario, Canada. So it's good night to me, your God or your gods go with you.